You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 115 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the Spare Room studio this week is my co-host Matt. Hello, hello. How is everyone? This It's uh, it's uh, it's a little bit strange today. Uh, I, I shall just explain. Basically, we've just had uh, an interview with our guest. We have. Um, and yeah. those who are in the chat room obviously will, will know that. So we, we, today, our special guest this week is a lovely chap by the name of Rob mark and uh, everybody out there i know will know who he is but uh, uh, we've got a lovely nice nice interview with him but uh, because of time constraints and things and he's got other things to do yeah. obviously we've done that first um and uh, but we'll play that out at the end of today's show yeah so, rob uh, mark for a real from uh, yeah. from the geeks from the airplane yeah. geek show so that was that was brilliant yeah. oh he's brilliant wasn't he yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah honestly you're in for a real treat it, 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 it was brilliant for those of you listening to uh, to the audio show yeah, yeah. You, you're gonna uh, you're gonna love that but um, you are indeed but we've got uh, we've got quite a few people in the chat room who've uh, who've stuck with us uh, this evening. Uh, yep. It's a little bit uh, later than normal. A little bit later. We've done normal, the interview yeah. first. It is. I should just say it's the third of June. It's my sister's birthday today. Third of June. Yeah, indeed. Third it's of a Friday, June, and it's about half past eight uh, yes. now. So uh, yeah, but uh, that's as I say, we we are not starting late. It's just that we've done we've done things back to front. So uh, slightly reduced news stories this week because yep. we've got a great interview that we want to play out to you in full. Um, and as I say, we try to keep the uh, running time to a sensible, digestible so keep level. The, keep, the chat, <laughs> keep the chat room coming, all you yeah. guys in there. Um, loads of names to mention mm. from across uh, across the globe. So uh, good, yeah, good to see you guys and girls in there. Yep. And uh, we've got uh, a few good news stories to bring you. We have. And so, yeah, so we, oh, are you ready? So, I am, yes. Yeah, I so am we're going to start the show then, as yep. we always do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you are ready, Matt. I certainly am. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story then on the CH Aviation website and uh, the headline Air Malta to outsource several in-house services. Can't think why I chose this story. No, no, you? Not, you, you hate um, Air Malta. You hate Malta, and Air Malta and all sorts. Don't you? Yeah. So Air Malta <laughs> uh, in uh, in the, the wonderful island of Malta are planning to outsource some of their in-house operations in order to help cut costs. Air Malta is currently in early talks with Etihad Airways, oh, wow. uh, equity partner Alitalia. And which uh, which is successful, which if successful, uh, could lead to the Italians acquiring a 49% stake in the Maltese carrier. As such, in the event a deal is brokered, airline sources who spoke to the Times of Malta on condition of anonymity uh, said among the departments of management would hive off initially are engineering and ground handling. However, other areas could not be excluded and are also under review. This model of the company will not uh, need to keep 24-7 engineering and ground handling operation independently seasoned uh, and the volume of work at the carrier will be able to uh, hire an on-demand service according to specific requirements, the sources said. The sources added that the uh, affected uh, the air that might affect the Air Malta staff, uh, which could be laid off, um, but it uh, would be transferred 
some of the staff to a government entity which would provide uh, the requisite services, albeit as a private sector-based consortium. Alitalia expects to complete its due diligence of Air Malta's operations by the end of July, following which both carriers' boards will make a decision on whether to proceed with an undertaking. Uh, good news end for it. I mean, they're trying. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pop that. I'm going to pop that picture up because I know you'll you'll want to see. I it. know for go. those who are in the uh, oh, YouTube chat room, it's that see. lovely little plane that is the. So what type? What aircraft is that? It's an A320. Yeah? That's an A320. Yeah. Okay, he says yeah, reading beautiful. it off the graphic, but you can never be sure that the video that the no, photo that ties, ties. That is definitely yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and I'll be off there at the end of this month. Yes, of course. Only three more weeks yes. to go. Yeah, I, I get to live, and we'll be I, doing a show from Malta. We will indeed, and I get to live in your house for a week. And Matt away. gets to live <laughs> in the PTUK towers. Indeed, absolutely. For, uh, looking for a, looking a after the precious poppy cat that is. Yeah, you will be. Yeah. Absolutely. So moving on to our next story, yes, which uh, strangely enough. Let me guess, is it a Ryanair story by oh, any chance? Yeah. yeah. Indeed, yes. So it, <laughs> oh, here we go. So this is on the mirror.co.uk website. And the headline is, Wannabe Air Stewards shelled out 2K on Ryanair training course, but ended up with nothing. Uh, Lauren Kusick uh, was delighted when she passed an online application and went on a course with Crewlink. But heartbreak was in store. A teenage job seeker and her family were left £2,000 out of pocket after failing a test just one percent during by just one percent sorry during her training as a Ryanair cabin crew member Lauren Kusick 19 said that she was kicked off a course in Essex two weeks before completion by that time she and her parents Gary 47 and Lee 42 had shelled out uh, registration fees flights from Scotland accommodation and a uniform all of which were non-refundable despite this she said she wasn't allowed to resit the exam uh, reports the daily record Lauren from Uddington uh, uh, Ud Uddingston, Uddingston. Let's say Lauren from Glasgow yes. was, was delighted when she passed an online application and an interview for Ryanair cabin crew uh, Crewlink official recruiters for the budget airline then contacted her to complete the final stage of the recruitment process at Stansted Airport. The six-week course started in January and Lauren was told that she would be qualified to start working by March. She said, it was my dream job, something I'd always wanted to do. But then it was made clear uh, if I want, but uh, then it was made clear if I wanted it, I would have to pay for it and the bills started coming in. I was desperate to have a career as an air stewardess so I agreed and paid my deposit, my flights and my rent up front. Uh, I was then told I was out and that was that. I think it's ridiculous how, how much people are being asked to pay and then are walking away with absolutely nothing. There were more than 20 people in my class, only half of them passed. Uh, if she'd passed, Lauren would have been liable to repay more than £1,900 uh, in training fees from her wages. The, tra the teenager claimed initially she was told she would have to cough up that amount despite not finishing the course. Lauren said the instructor announced uh, in front of everyone, everyone that I'd failed. Uh, she then took me aside and said that my course fees would still be due uh, although I hadn't passed. I was furious and I rang the instructor's boss who agreed on this one occasion to let the payment go. So that's obviously quite standard standard practice by the sound of it, but they kept my reservation fee even though Crewlink's website states that this fee includes a medical examination. Lauren said that she had to shell out another £120 for an independent examination. She was also told that an additional fee would be deducted from her eventual wages to pay for her uniform. 
So it's really not a very good story, and I don't think Ryanair come out particularly well. No, especially not when she or, was or, or that sh- close. Yeah, or should I say perhaps Crew Link? Because uh, in, fa- yeah. in fairness yeah. to Ryanair, obviously they they've subcontracted the, the the job out, if you like, to someone else. Um, so uh, perhaps it's not uh, as as clear cut as. Um, but it just goes to show, even with an airline like Ryanair, it's not easy just to uh, walk no. into a job, even no. after uh, doing all even the you've uh, done all the training, training you're not necessarily stuff, guaranteed yeah. a job at That's the end of fun. it. Yeah. So next story is on the CH Aviation site. The uh, headline, India's Go Air, adds Maiden A320neo. Uh, Go Air, uh, based in Mumbai, International Airport, Mumbai, Mumbai, has taken delivery of its first of 72 A320neos on order from Airbus Industries. Uh, Following the arrival of Victor Tango Whiskey Golf Alpha, uh, at uh, Delhi International on Thursday, the 2nd of June, which was uh, yesterday. Wow. Uh, the aircraft will shortly begin to uh, begin revenue operations on the India's uh, LCC's Delhi-Mumbai trunk route. Uh, the Indian LCC expects to operate eight of the type by uh, March 2017, with a total of 26 expected to be delivered by the end of 2017. GoAir currently operates 19 A320-200s on flights across India from bases at Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore International and Kolkata Airport. Uh, now they have GoAir, they're a scheduled carrier in, uh, based in uh, Mumbai International Airport in India. Uh, they've got 19 aircraft in their fleet with 22 destinations, uh, 53 routes and they Averagely do about 153 daily flights, and uh, but no, it's great, uh, great to see the uh, 320 Neo uh, moving into India, which, as we know from the show, Matt, is a huge aviation mm. uh, mecca. Uh, India, there's a, there's a huge aviation sort of um, yeah, absolutely. well, just, just greatness there in India yeah. with the uh, airline orders, especially with Boeing as mm. well. So that's uh, good news for them. Uh, good, good news for me while you're away, because apparently I'm holding a party while you're away. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, where did the party come from? Yeah, I don't know. Well, certainly Nev, David, and and uh, Paul are all up for it, so we're all having a party while you're on holiday. Excellent. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong there? Yeah. Oh dear. There'll, oh. there'll be there'll be a huge PTUK you, following in yeah. the house. You can't yeah. see the whites of his eyes. He's looking very nervous, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All part of the fun. Oh dear. Anyway, on to the next story, and uh, this is on Flight Global, and the headline is uh, uh, Air Asia. It's a picture story. Air Asia X takes two final A330s before Neo arrival. Uh, so Air Asia X has taken delivery of two Airbus A330-300s, the final two aircraft it will add to its fleet before the A330-900 Neos arrive in 2018. The two aircraft, registered 9M-XBA and 9M-XBB, were delivered to AirAsia X on the 14th of May and the 28th of May, respectively. This brings the long-haul, low-cost carrier to a fleet of 31 jets. Uh, Flight Global's fleets analyzer indicates that the two aircraft were built in 2015 and are owned and managed by BOC Aviation. These aircraft are the final two we will receive until our next delivery of the Airbus A330-900 NEO in 2018. We are very happy to have these two aircraft as part of the AirAsia X Burhad family as it gives us the right capacity to introduce more frequencies and connectivity into our route network. Says AirAsia X's chief executive, um, 
the fleets analyzer data sorry fleets analyzer analyzer sorry put my teeth in try again shows an air asia x orders air asia x has orders for 66 a330-900 neos and 10 a350-900 i'm just going to pop that picture up on the screen i think it's a really nice picture actually isn't it look at that there we go. Welcome nice. to the family, and they've got the uh, the sign there in front yeah, of them. The two the, call the, signs, the two, yeah. call, the two registration numbers yeah. of uh, of the aircraft in yeah. question. Absolutely. All Airbus Fleet Air Asia X. Right. Uh, yeah. See, I'm the, surprised that's not more commonplace. Um, with uh, you know in the aviation industry because you think you're, you're sort of basically running the same set of spares, aren't you? I mean, mm. it, it, yeah, you we, we talked about it before, and yeah. it's it's very true. But no, they've yeah. got an all Airbus fleet. And um, yeah, the three thirties have got as well uh, yeah. in uh, in their uh, inventory. Yeah, thirty one of those. But no, they've uh, got a huge huge amount of orders mm. uh, in place with Airbus for uh, the Neo. So yeah. good on them. Yeah. Uh, next story is is on the yeah. flight uh, global yeah. site. This party's looking really amazing. I know, by the way. I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, David knows where you and live. And David knows yes. where I live, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, yeah. Uh, here we go. Flight Global, this one. United uh, United Airlines uh, mm. across the pond there are going to start direct San Francisco to Singapore services uh, with the 787-9. So uh, United Airlines has commenced uh, this week direct services on the San Francisco-Singapore route using the 787-9 aircraft. The first non-stop service between the two cities landed at Changi Air International Airport on the morning of Friday, today, the 3rd of June. Uh, United is proud to play a part in Singapore aviation uh, history by launching the first ever non-stop service to San Francisco and uh, to be the only airline offering non-stop services between Singapore and the United States, says Marcel Fuchs, Vice President of Atlantic and Pacific Sales. The Chicago-based Star Alliance carrier will operate the 7,339 nautical miles or 8,446-mile route daily. Uh, eastbound flights are scheduled at uh, 15 hours and 30 minutes in duration and the westbound flights are scheduled at 16 hours and 20 minutes in duration. The flight is the first direct USA to Singapore flight after Singapore Airlines ceased its uh, Singapore Newark service in November 2013 operated with the Airbus A340-500 aircraft, equipped with 100 business seats and the ultra-long haul route provided, uh, proved unprofitable. Uh, United 787-9 has 257, uh, 252 seats, in fact, uh, 48 in business and 204 in economy. The U.S. carrier is likely to have monopoly on the route, at least until 2018, when Singapore International Airlines is due to receive the Airbus A350-900 ULR, or mm. Ultra Long Range. Ooh. Uh, a longer-range version that can carry 165,000 litres of fuel uh, compared with 141,000 litres of fuel for the baseline A350-900. Singapore will, uh, International Airlines will get seven examples. Its first destination with the new aircraft will be New York in 2018, with Los Angeles to follow later. So we are, Matt, a nice mm. little short flight there. Even <laughs> you could handle 15 hours and 30 minutes. Okay, come. So, <laughs> oh, I quite like the idea of that. Fifteen hours? Come on, look. everyone in the chat room would would easily travel with us for fifteen hours on a flight. 
They would. Moving <laughs> on swiftly to... Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I have nothing to say to that story. That frightened me. No, it's, it's great. Secretly, uh, we'll get... Me, me and Matt are going to go to Vegas with Norwegian. You know, oh, we? yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. the prices, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah, 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 so cheap, so so cheap. Yeah, Paul says he'd love fifteen hours. He'd absolutely love it. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I, I quite, I quite often ask the Carl, Carlos the the infamous question: What on earth am I doing sitting here? Because I literally know nothing about aeroplanes, and I'm terrified of them. But uh, I'm just a bus driver. That's all I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified of Matt's coach. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So to be fair, so are most of my passengers. But yeah. that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this is on the aerospace and defence. <laughs> Oh, really? I had to uh, get one in. <laughs> Indeed, that's what she said. Uh, oh. The... <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, can't focus, focus. Aerospace and Defence is the website, and okay. the headline is Airline Industry Promises New Black Box Technology by Year End. There we are, see, that's my fancy DJ voice. Well uh, I'm just practising for the party that we're going to have while you're away. Okay. Uh, yes, <laughs> the airline industry has pledged to agree standards by the end of the year for fast recovery of data to help investigators determine the cause of air accidents. This is very good news. I must admit, I kind of assumed that the technology had already been standardised. So that this is this has come as a bit of a surprise to me. Anyway, the head of safety, whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, at the aviation industry's trade body at uh, I, uh, is it IATA? IATA. IATA uh, promised on Thursday that the industry would make a definitive and concrete decision by the end of 2016 on technology to ensure faster recovery of data. Now I'm pretty sure that this is a story our guest will be very much. Um, into, I would say, yeah. uh, uh, two weeks after the crash of Egypt Air Flight MS804 that killed all 66 people on board. Investigators believe that they have identified the black boxes which record the last movements of uh, the last movements and moments of the aircraft and its flight crew. However, it could take several weeks longer to raise the voice and data recorders from the bed of the Mediterranean, depending on where they are located, according to one airline executive. The recorders from the Malaysian Airlines MH370 jet, which crashed in 2014 with 239 people on board, have never been recovered. Uh, in March, the International Civil Aviation Organization said that airlines would be required to equip all new aircraft with such that technology from January 2021. It did not define what technology the industry would use, only that the solution should deliver the desired results. Speaking at IATA's annual meeting in Dublin, Mr. Lopez Mayer said that the issue was complex given that the technology was changing so quickly. Options included live streaming of data, which I'm surprised doesn't take place now. No, it does. Uh, oh, live, it does. Yeah, right. live streaming um, yeah. does take place, but uh, it's not it's not an audio, it's yeah. kind of a, a text message right. thing between okay. an aircraft say what's and going ground. On. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this could meet the requirement without needing a data recorder. However, the 100,000 flights a day, uh, with 100,000 flights a day, the infrastructure was not yet robust enough to absorb the sheer volume of data that it, this would create. Tony Tyler, who is the Director General of IATA, said there were problems of spectrum and broadband capacity. Uh, if it was an easy problem to fix, rest assured it would have already been done. Uh, adding to the difficulties in recovering information, it remains extremely difficult to track aircraft continuously in flight, according to Bjorn Firm, who is the aviation analyst at Leham, the aerospace consultancy. It, it is it is a, a very sort of difficult subject, isn't it? As I say, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely surprised that there isn't a cross-platform, the black box is this format, and that's what mm. you put in your aircraft, because that... that 
that I, I, I kind of assumed that that was I mean, already the, the, in place. The black boxes, as you know, Matt, they record the you know the the, the cockpit voice record, mm. recorder yeah. that records the uh, flight deck voices, and you've got the, also the flight data recorder, which yeah. records what the pilots are doing, pressing, touching, mm. power, you know, power, and stuff like that, and where mm. everything is. Um, but they, there is on, like I said, Matt, on the Airbus and the Boeing a aircraft as well. Mm. There's a system called ACARS. Yep. A C A R S stands for um, Aircraft Communications Addressing and yep. Reporting System. Okay. And this is kind of a, a system, uh, like, a, like a digital data link system, that uh, for transmission of short messages uh, between uh, the aircraft and a ground station, and it's via like an airband radio satellite kind mm. of thing. Um, that was actually designed in, in 1976. Um, using a telex format, but obviously since then it's moved mm. on. But you know this this system does send messages from the aircraft mm. uh, at regular intervals, um, telling the ground services if there are any little things wrong with the aircraft, yeah. like and actually, minor things. Uh, Tony's actually saying uh, in the chat room here, ACARS and CPLDC already do this to an extent. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they, but uh, obviously this this transmits. Mm. As, as I said, like text messages, <gasps> it doesn't transmit sort of voice. Stuff. Right. I'm, I'm shocked by this. Ne Never's just said that some aircraft still have tape-based. Yeah, they do. Yeah, CVR and C yeah, what flight the? data recorders and cockpit voice recorders. Some of them are still CVR tape, actual as in cassette you know, tape. Cassette tape style. That's, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. Surely that, uh, the that's... newer ones are all uh, yeah, 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 yeah. on uh, digital yeah, uh, chips. Yeah. Um, but uh, but no, they, they, <sighs> the, it. It's a shame that they that can't. That frightens me. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame they can't have a system in place which yeah. continuously mm. transmits audio and. Yeah, um, but then, 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 as it. the story says, I mean, you've then yeah. got that hideous issue over um, bandwidth, haven't yeah. you? This is this is the the crazy thing. Yeah, this is the crazy thing. Anyway, that is where we bring the aviation commercial segment to a close. Uh, we're going to do the military uh, in just a moment, uh, but we'll do that right after these short messages. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. We're back. There we go. That's, That's really abrupt, that one, I isn't know, it? That one is <laughs> yeah. abrupt. We're yeah, we trim we that one yes, off a bit. Absolutely. Yes, tidy that one up. Yeah. So we are going to do a short bit of military news, indeed, and then yeah. we have got a small piece of voice feedback yes. sent in by our lovely listener, Jennifer Parkinson. Yes. Jenny from Rome. Yes. Aww. 
Oh, I do. I do. I literally f- always feel all warm and fuzzy every time. We'll every meet time. up with her at yeah. some point. I hope so. Along next, with all our listeners at Farnborough. Uh, this is true. Woo-hoo. This is true. This is it. <laughs> Sorry, the chat room's going crazy about because uh, uh, we, we, we're talking about ACARS. And, and Tony said that ACARS is an optional extra that Ryanair just won't pay for. Um, and then you, you <laughs> over there, said that Ryanair still use a Nokia 3310 tech system. Now, there was nothing wrong with a 3310 tech system, I have to be honest. It was one of the best I think I've ever come across. Obviously, as in between David, snakes. As David pointed out, in between playing games snakes of on a plane. the Ludge. Yeah. No, not snakes on a plane, just okay. snakes. snakes. You must remember okay. snakes. Yeah, and snakes on the yeah. plane. Yeah, I had snakes too Brilliant on the film. Nokia 33. No, it's not. Okay. Snakes on a plane. Anyway, it's time for the military. So if you are ready then, Carlos. Oh, let's go. Yeah, let's go. And our first uh, story on the military segment this week. And it's a sad story. This one uh, happened early, mm. just earlier this week, actually. Yeah. Uh, very sad va- in, uh, news indeed. Uh, the headline, this is on Sky News' site, and the headline, Blue Angels pilot killed in training crash. Uh, the F-18 flown by Captain Jeff Koss was uh, taking off ahead of an air show this weekend in Tennessee when it crashed. Uh, the Blue Angels pilot uh, was killed uh, tragically during the practice session. The U.S. Navy said in a news release that the pilot was beginning to take off when the crash took place in Smyrna. I th- mm. Hopefully I pronounced that wrong. Sorry, oh right, sorry if I've uh, got that wrong. Uh, just outside Nashville. Uh, he has been identified by the U.S. officials as Marine Captain Jeff Cuss. According to his official Blue Angels biography, Captain Cuss joined the elite aerobatics team in 2014 and had accumulated more than 1,400 flight hours. Wow. His grandfather, Dolph Cuss, had been, uh, said being a pilot uh, was his childhood dream. He said it's hard to put into words right now, but it, uh, it's, a beautiful, it's beautiful that a person can live and die engaged in their life's pursuits. Mm. Uh, this was a dream since he was a child uh, to be an aviator and a flyer, he said. Admiral John Richardson, the Navy's top officer, posted on Facebook that his thoughts and prayers go out to the family and friends of the Blue Angels after this tragic loss. Um, They're going to investigate, obviously, the uh, accident fully and uh, find out what happened and try and prevent similar accidents happening again. Uh, Five other F-18 jets in the Blue Angels team landed safely moments after the crash and no one else was injured. Uh, The team is based at Naval Air Station Pensacola in Florida, and the Blue Angels were scheduled to take part in the Great Tennessee Air Show at the weekend, but will now not participate. Mm. Captain Cuss was from Durango, Colorado, and was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marines in 2006, and he had previously served in Afghanistan before joining the Blue Angels. He is survived by his wife and two children, and it comes uh, after the pilot from the Thunderbirds Air Demonstration Squadron was forced to eject before his fighter jet crashed in Colorado on Thursday. Mm. Major Alex Turner of 
Chelmsford, Massachusetts had just flown over the crowd watching President Obama's uh, commencement address at the USS, uh, US Air Force's Air Academy near Colorado Springs when he was forced to ditch. He was rescued by a helicopter and taken for a face-to-face -face meeting with Mr. Obama. Mm. But no, sad news, it obviously. Is awful. Very, yeah. very sad news because the Blue Angels, I've personally not seen them. No. Uh, it's one of those aerobatic display teams that I would really, really love to see if they ever came over to well, the UK. And, and they're um, as famous um, as, as the Red Arrow. Yeah. Aren't they? I mean, it, it, they are. It, it is. It is awful. It is very, very sad. Um, so, yeah, as I say, our thoughts go out, obviously, to Captain Jeff and uh, and all all of his family, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, ca carrying on then on to the next news story. Yeah, absolutely. And our last uh, military story uh, is uh, Ireland. This is on Flight Global. And it's about the RAF. It is, yeah. The Royal Air Force. This is what we like to hear. So ILA and its Airbus introduces final RAF Voyager. The last example of the Royal Air Force's 14-strong fleet of Airbus Defence and Space A330 Voyager tankers has made an appearance fresh from being painted at uh, Manching in Germany and ahead of its planned delivery to, manage, uh, to manager air tanker in July. Future Strategic Tanker Aircraft 14, FSTA-14, took off from Airbus, uh, is it Getafe? Getafe, Spain? Getafe, Getafe. Getafe, Getafe, Getafe Spain Getafe. site, on the afternoon of 31st of May, so it was literally only a couple of days ago, yeah. landing at Schoenfeld in Berlin a couple of hours later, where it was displayed to the public at the ILNA Berlin Air Show. That's very, very cool. This is the last aircraft to fulfill the 2004 contract and followed the delivery of the FSTA-13 in February. This example was uh, converted into a civilian configuration after delivery and the same will happen to the FSTA-14. Of the 14 Voyagers in the UK's FSTA Fleet 9 are in the RAF's core lineup, and the other five are considered surge aircraft, with the last two contributing to the latter. The UK's Strategic Defence and Security Review, published in November, confirmed the fleet will be available for VIP transport, provided through a roll-on, roll-off system that can be applied to any aircraft. The Netherlands, Norway and Poland are pooling a fleet of A330 multi-role tanker uh, transports under the multinational MRTT fleet uh, effort, uh, a contract signing for which is pending. It's believed that it will happen in the coming months, but Airbus would not confirm this, stating negotiations are very much on track. German Germany revealed plans in December to join the effort as its Airbus A310 tanker fleet ages, and it's understood it will join after the initial contract is signed. FSTA, Matt. Yes. Future Strategic Tanker Aircraft. Oh, very good. Go. Yes, very go. good. Yeah. I do love an acronym. An acronym. Yeah. Can't be an acronym. Yes. Oh, it's very stressful in the world of uh, Micah today. It's a, it says, oh, he was just saying that they were only recently updated from the F-18 to the F-18, to the F slash A-18. And are you saying it's time to put some clothes in the dryer? Be right back. Oh, well done, Monica. Well, absolutely, yes. I mean, you know, household chores must still take place. So we have got uh, a small piece of audio feedback from uh, the lovely Jennifer Parkinson mm -hmm. uh, over in uh, Rome, mm -hmm. in Italy. And uh, we're going to play that for you. Okay. Right now. Hello. 
This is Jenny in Rome. It's been raining all day, although now the sun has come out, thank goodness. It's Thursday the 2nd of June. It's been a national holiday today for Republic Day. And uh, as part of this morning's military parade, the Italian equivalent of the uh, Red Arrows uh, flew across the skies rather low because there was cloud cover. But uh, that was quite exciting because if I stand on my balcony, I can watch them. I can actually see them at a distance and uh, they leave behind them trails of red, white and, and green smoke in the colours of the Italian flag. So that was a good start to the day. Anyway, what I'm actually sending this feedback about is that I wanted to tell you about a very exciting day I had about 10 days ago now when I flew over Rome in a light aircraft. Yes, really. A couple of weeks ago, I read an account of someone taking their first flying lesson and it reminded me that this has been a secret wish of mine for some time now. The person who did the flying lesson, by the way, is none other than my namesake, Jennifer, uh, an American who works uh, at an airport and, and tweets and blogs from it. Uh, and uh, she put up on her blog, which by the way is uh, talesfromthe-terminal.wordpress.com all about uh, a flying lesson. So, when my husband said to me, would I like uh, a panoramic flight over Rome for my birthday present? I'm going to be 60 next week. Oh, how did that happen? And uh, anyway, he said, would you like that as a birthday present? And I said, yes, but you know what I'd actually like better is to, to have a flying lesson or some flying lessons. So, we went down to this small flying club called Fly Roma that my husband had noticed on, on the uh, road out towards Tivoli, which is to the east of Rome. We arrived at this little airstrip, I suppose, and there was a big hangar with lots of light aircraft there and people milling around. And uh, we met the owner and the chief instructor, Italo Marino, and he said, well, yes, of course, we could we could do lessons, but why don't uh, you come up in the plane for 10 minutes and uh, you can I'll fly you around and you can see if you like it. So there wasn't time to be scared. And I just jumped in and two seconds later, we were, the engine was being turned on. This was a small aircraft, a Technam P92, I think it's called. I've sent a photo so you can have a look at it. Very small. Uh, anyway, so along we go, along the, the grass runway, very fast, and we're up in the air and uh, flying around. And it was just absolutely amazing. And looking down on the ground, and we saw Hadrian's Villa, um, could see all the layout of it, and it was very good. And at a certain point, Italo said, right, now you can have a go, because there are dual controls in this plane. Um, take hold of the... Uh, the yoga that he called it the cloche take hold of this you push it forward to go down and towards you to go up and left and right for left and right he said see that point there that's where we're going and uh, I was quite nervous actually because I wasn't quite sure how much you had to push or, or pull or left and right to, to have any effect so I was doing everything really gingerly and after a bit I said look I think when, when I do the proper lessons uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be a bit more courageous but for today could you just um, fly so he flew around and we were um, coming in to land at a certain point I couldn't see 
the landing strip at all and we seem to be coming down very fast and uh, nothing like what pilot Pip says about preparing the the aircraft for for landing the stable flight we just sort of whizzed in in a sort of curvy kind of thing and there we were down on the ground and uh, the instructor said to me you know you don't have to grab onto the, the seat all the time remember that it's you're quite safe anyway so that was my exciting uh, event and I shall be starting lessons shortly so there we are I will keep you informed bye for now Jenny. She's starting on the fly. Yeah, another, oh, I love it. Another I love PPL it. in the making. I know, it? I know. Yeah, Hopefully she'll, she'll fly over here and see us. Oh, absolutely. UK. Yeah, she'll be landing in Norwich on her own by the sound of no, it she, soon. She can come to Ella. She come, yes, she can come right see Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds... That sounds brilliant. Thanks oh. for that, Jennifer. Mm. Yes, yeah, so don't forget then, if you want to, uh, so please do send in your own audio feedback. We'd love yeah, to get all it. all you in the chat room. Yeah, Tony, everybody, yes. Everybody in the chat Masha, everyone. We want Neville. We want, yeah, get your, yeah, we've yeah. heard from Neville, but Neville, get, send your feedback yes. as well. Yeah, actually. And, and uh, hopefully we'll have a segment from Micah soon. Yes, yes. Yeah, so hopefully Micah might send yeah, us another. You never know, you never know. But uh, yes, to get in contact with the show, <laughs> you do it by contacting us either on our website, www.plaintalkinguk.com, UK.com. On Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Plain Talking UK. It's our Twitter handle is at Plain Talking UK. And to email us the show directly, it is podcast at Plain Talking UK.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our special guest this week. He's twice won the coveted Airbus Aerospace Journalist of the Year Award, as well as the National Business Aviation Association's 2010 Award for Outstanding Journalism. He's the author of the Professional Pilot Career Guide. He's the editor of the award-winning Aviation Insider's blog, JetWine.com, as well as co-hosting and producing the legendary Airplane Geeks. He's a regular news contributor to Fox News, BBC and CNN, to name but a few. What on earth he's doing on our little podcast, I do not know. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Mr. Rob Mark. Welcome to the show. Yay! Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, it, before we start, I just wanted to mention one thing. The, uh, the bank wire transfer, it right. doesn't seem like it came through. Uh, <laughs> remember we talked about the... Yeah. <laughs> did you guys forget? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> this is why they, they I drive them crazy on the airplane. <laughs> no, uh, this is really fun. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm so pleased to be with you here. And, of course, as you know... You guys know, I mean, I, I spent a lot of my youth in the UK and uh, in Essex uh, wow. at, at an RAF base. And uh, so the, the folks uh, there in uh, Germany, I, I mean, the, the UK are, are very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, as, uh, so as Matt said, and welcome on to uh, the Plain Talking UK show, Rob Mark. And uh, how are things across, uh, across the, well, we should say pond. Across the pond? Yeah. <laughs> That's usually what everybody says. No, actually, quite nice. It's uh, it's uh, summer here for us too. It's about. Uh, I'm in Chicago. It's about. Uh, I think about 78 degrees here, and uh, uh, we're here in my 
lovely little office away from home and uh, it's where all the writing and audio work and all the other junk gets done so this is where the magic happens wow. Wow. i wouldn't expect anything less frankly so as i was talking to uh, to matt when, uh, when we got together this afternoon before we started the uh, start the show uh, Rob, I've been listening to you now for quite a few years. Uh, over Don't tell him how many. Gigs. Don't upset yeah, it's, him. It's a quite <laughs> a few years. I must say, you, you do help me get through some uh, pretty hideous shifts where I work. So uh, just like to thank you for that, Rob. <laughs> the, the people that I used to work for never said anything like that. They used to say something about the fact that the shifts were hideous because of me. But oh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I got it wrong. So. So let's 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 start and let's ask, let's ask a few little probing mm, questions. Indeed. And so, uh, so how did um, your uh, your passion for aviation start with you, then, Rob? As a kid, really. I mean, you know, I was one of those kids that always watched airplanes when they went by. What initially grabbed me, I don't know. Uh, back in the old days, when I was a kid here in Chicago. Wait, I'm just going to move. Get back in the camera here. Um, <laughs> Chicago's Midway Airport was the bu busiest airport in the U.S. And uh, I can remember my dad taking me down there. And, and in those days, you could stand up on top of the terminal, and there was a viewing stand up there. And I always thought that was just the coolest thing in the whole world. And we'd watch uh, airplanes that people may not even recognize, Constellations, DC-3s, mm. DC-4s, DC-6s, uh, you know, the occasional, uh, I know it was a little early for the Viscount, I think, then. but uh, And I always, I didn't even know what they all did. I was just absolutely mesmerized by them. And even in other jobs I've had over the years, I don't think I ever, ever lost that just curious fascination, if those two words go together. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I'll just tell you a funny story. I had an office job maybe 15 years ago, 18 years ago, just before, just after my daughter was born. And it was in downtown Chicago, in the Loop, which if anybody's been to downtown Chicago, it was along what they call the Magnificent Mile by the uh, John Hancock Building and Water Tower Place and all these really. And, <laughs> and my office looked down upon uh, Michigan Avenue, looking south, and the, it, it looked like it was a really cool job. They were going to pay me a lot of money to do PR work. And, and then I realized the first day of work that my office, I could look down the street far enough to see the airplanes taking off and landing from Meg's Field, which was still oh, open wow. at the time. And that job just didn't work out very well. So. <laughs> and that's been the story of my life. Me and offices just don't seem to make it. You prefer your office to be in the sky, Rob. Yeah. yeah, or or at least at very least around an airport. I mean, it it it's a it's a funny thing, but I I still to this day when an airplane <clears throat> goes by, wait, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry folks, that's all right, that's okay. When because uh, <laughs> we live in uh, one of the uh, patterns for O'Hare here in Chicago, and sitting in the backyard to this day when the airplanes are you know zipping down yeah. over, I still look up. I don't know why I do that. I must be plain crazy <laughs> or nuts or is there, or, a, is there a podcast called Plain Nuts? Uh, well, plain Crazy Down Under, that, that, that's close. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but you know those guys. Uh, they're no, very, they're Steve, friends of the show, be yeah, nice. <laughs> and I, I've been just, you know, in it ever since. I, I mean, I, I really got involved in it 
when I joined the Air Force back in, well, a long time ago. And that's how I ended up in the UK for three and a half years. And uh, I just, you know, I didn't really care what was going on in terms of the specifics. I just knew I was around airplanes. Is that, is that how you learned to fly then, Rob? Did you go, did you, you know, go into the forces to learn to fly or did you get your license oh, before actually, you? Actually, um, I, I didn't, because uh, what I did is that I, I went to, to college right after high school and I stayed for a, a, a semester and I left because it was just not, I, I hated college. It just, so I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into the Air Force and learn to fly. So I signed up all the papers and and then, you know, we got to the part about assigning jobs and they said, well, you can't fly. You're not an officer. Only officers fly. Oh, no. How rude. <laughs> I, and I realized that I was stuck for four years, actually. So I, I became an air traffic controller. Wow. And, uh, it, it was as close as I got while I was in the in the Air Force. But and so I learned really learned to fly after I got out of the Air Force, and that, that's when I went back to, uh, uh, to college, and I finished an undergrad degree, and then I've got a graduate degree from uh, Northwestern in journalism, too. So, I, you know, I was a late bloomer. I guess maybe that's the best way to say it. So, so what, was, what, was, what was your direct route, then, to, to actually um, flying? Uh, uh, as I say, you, so you didn't do it in the RF, which is, I know where a lot of people do it. Um, so what was your first? I learned, uh, I learned in the civilian track, and I was lucky enough, having served in the U.S. Air Force during, uh, you know, the, the, the Vietnam era conflict, that we had uh, what they still have parts of, which is called the GI Bill, uh, which is an educational uh, um, aid, really, for, for vets that are getting out. And uh, so I paid for my own college, wow. uh, but the GI Bill paid for a lot of my flight training. I had to get my private on my own, but after that, they, would, they probably paid 60% of the price of my commercial, my multi-engine, my instrument rating. And then once I had that, oh, and, and my flight instructor certificate. So <laughs> once I had those, which I was doing... While I was going to college and while I was also working full time, because when I did come back to the States, I got a job with, uh, <clears throat> excuse me again, with FAA as a controller. So I was working as a civilian controller, building my time and my ratings and also finishing college. So I was a little busy. So, but so, that's kind of how I kind of got that, that grounding to, to get me going at least. So, so going back to the air traffic control thing, I mean, I mean, ha what on earth is that like? I mean, it's, it's one of those jobs that terrifies the living daylights out of me where the idea that you're in charge of all these planes and you've got to try and keep them in the air and make sure that they don't sort of touch each other and things like that. I mean, that, that, that must be such an intense job. Um, you know, it's a funny thing, but I guess having learned in the Air Force, and they take much more time with you than FAA does. Right. Uh, we had fighters, we had bombers, we had transports, and we had good people showing us how to make it work. Mm -hmm. And once you learn sort of the tricks of the trade, because uh, it, it, it doesn't become quite as, as frightening, especially when you realize that you're working in a three-dimensional world so that it's not just, do I send them left or do I send them right? Or would that be? Well, whichever way these two things are to you, <laughs> listeners. Uh, you know, but you also have vertical. And it's like a big kind of a video game before we had video games. And so I, 
I guess I had the kind of mind that I saw that as a as a challenge, and so I liked doing it. Um, I worked in radar and I worked in towers. Wow. Uh, I think I kind of like the radar better um, yeah. because you could. It was a smaller space, but the pieces were moving mm. all over the place. And <laughs> you're you're right. Your job was to keep them apart, apart and, from each other. Yeah. Uh, kind of like flying that you don't if you're well trained you don't have time to be nervous while you're doing it it's because your brain is just too focused on doing the job safely yeah. and but then when you're done you're <sighs> <laughs> exhausted you kind of yeah. collapse yeah and uh it can be very very tedious on, on your body uh yeah. the, well, the work not... schedules we had as controllers were really really tough yeah. as well time and um but, you know, again, I did it because it was a, I loved, I actually loved the work. I really did. Yeah. Uh, but I knew that I didn't want to be a, sitting in a radar room because to me it was like an office again. Yeah. I, I didn't want to sit in a little dark room Back for the rest of my life. Yeah. I wanted to go fly airplanes and I never let go of that. So while I was working, once I got my instructor certificate, I took on a student at, at our airport and, you know, did some instructing. I, um. I, uh, I'm a schmoozer, which is somebody that talks to anybody and scares me to death because my daughter who's in college is the same way. Yeah. I'm afraid she's going to meet the wrong kind of person, but oh. it would be my fault. <laughs> uh, but you know, and, and I would meet people and I would always, I'd see opportunities. And I met a fellow who was, uh, at a show that was a distributor for Cessna at the time. And I said, well, if you ever need anybody to fly your airplanes, just give me a call. <laughs> give me a call you know, and I had a little card with my phone number on it. And he said, well, do you, do you ferry airplanes at all? And I said, sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah I, I do that. <laughs> I'm up for that, yeah. Absolutely. And next thing I knew, I was ferrying airplanes, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, from the Cessna factory in uh, Wichita all over the United States. And, of course, I didn't get paid for it. But I was building time. It's, it's all about the that's hours good. in the book, isn't it? That's, that's, that's yeah. the end of the day, isn't oh, it? Yeah. That's the thing that frightens me today sometimes about uh, some of the young folks that I that I meet that say they want to be pilots. And mm. they go, wow, I've got my commercial certificate, but now what am I going to do? Yeah. How am I going to get into the airlines? I mean, uh, you yeah. know, what am I supposed to do? Well, and one of my friends, he... thing that we did. You, you work and yeah. you find what jobs you can as you build your time and you make contacts and connections and mm. it all hopefully leads somewhere. So you, you went from, um, you saying obviously your background actually is in, in, in journalism. So how did, how did the sort of the, the t how did the two first meet? If you see what I mean, where, where your, your like journalism and then your, your love of flying, how did that all, all come about? If I told you this, I'll tell you the truth and no one ever believes in me because they think it's the <laughs> dumbest thing they've ever heard. But my uh, my dad bought, oh gosh, I think I was very young, maybe nine or 10. He bought me one of these little Smith Corona portable typewriters. Oh, wow. With you and had a little cut, you know. And I always kept it. I never really used it. And when I started flying and I realized how much layover time we often had, even, uh, even when I was instructing, sometimes mm -hmm. I'd have two hours between students uh, or... Uh, uh, when I was ferrying an airplane, uh, uh, I would end up someplace sitting around for two or three hours trying to get back to where I started from. Or uh, uh, when I started flying 
parts for a small manufacturing company, I'd have to sit for five or six hours and wait before they brought stuff out to the airplane that we could load to take back. It was just dead time. Right. And I'm just one of these guys that's like, yeah, yeah. I'm always doing something. Don't like to be bored, yeah. And I just brought the typewriter with one day, and I just started writing, and uh, I don't know, and where did I? Oh, it was another opportunity. I met a fellow at a bar one night. A bunch of us were out after we were flying, not before, <laughs> to be clear. Of course. Yes. And uh, he was a journalist out in Southern California, and he mentioned that he was going to write a story about something aviation-related. I forgot what it was. And he said, I have no clue what I'm going to write. He's, I said, well, if you need some help. He said, yeah, I need some help. Why don't you do it? Hmm. And I said, oh, okay. I, I can do that. <laughs> you know, so, you know... And that is how I sold the first story mm. that I ever wrote. I don't think I go back now and I look at it like, oh, my God, somebody paid me for this? Um, but again, and, you know, there, there, there's a, a concept, I think, with, that when you say you're an opportunist, mm. people go, oh, God, you know, what a flaky. But I think, especially in this business, maybe opportunist isn't the best word. Maybe being aware of opportunities or, or uh, making the opportunities or never being afraid that someone's going to say no to you. Hmm. Uh, do you need somebody to fly your airplanes? Yeah. No, no, not really. <laughs> but that's only right now. You know, yeah. maybe if I ask you in another month, you might change your mind. Yeah. And I was always good with that. I, I just figured that if people said no, it wasn't the end of the world. I don't know a whole lot of people that died from hearing no. Right. <laughs> and I would always just... You know, I just like I did when when the you know the guy said, "Can you ferry airplanes?" I'm kind of serious, but kind of funny, so that if he says you're not serious, I would have gone, "Oh no, no, I, I mean, uh, so I've got a fallback position." But honestly, that's that's how a lot of opportunities came along over the years. Is I would just I would just constantly ask people. I was always giving somebody a a little business card with my phone number on it. Say, well, you know, if you ever need some help with this, that, or whatever, uh, shining the tires on your airplane, uh, <laughs> give me a call. And you'd be surprised how many times people would say, hey, you want to just go flying for the afternoon in my Cessna 310 yeah. at the time? I'd go, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. you'd fly a couple hours. Say, you you want to fly? <laughs> sure. You know, and again, it's it's a matter of being in the right place at the right time, but you cannot sit waiting for the phone to ring after you've sent out 40 emails and say, well, there you go. I tried. I mean, I don't know. Uh, people don't seem to understand me. They don't seem to want, you've got to get out there and you've got to meet people in person. At least I find. So I, I'm holding up now for, for the camera. Um, he says, pressing the run button. Hang on. Uh, I'm holding up for the camera now. A, a certain book that arrived in the post um, a couple of days. Uh, sorry, this morning, I should say. So how, how did the book come about? So this is the Professional Pilot's Career Guide. It actually says second, second edition. Second yeah. edition on, yeah. my, on, on my one here. You no, know, so, it, it was very much like the, the first magazine story. I was at, let me think. I was at some show... I don't remember how long. This obviously a long time ago, <laughs> and uh, and I met a guy, and we were just sitting there having beers. And I said, "Oh, what do you do?" He said, "Oh, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a book publisher." 
So, oh, really? Oh, wow, that's kind of cool. What kind of books do you publish? He said, well, I, I do aviation books for what was then Tab Books, which was eventually absorbed by McGraw-Hill. And I said, oh, well, that's kind of neat. He said, yeah, you want to write a book? And I, yeah. All right. Yeah. Said, Why would you ask me that? You yeah. don't even know if I'm a writer. He said, no, I know. I'm just kidding. He said, I've got this book. And he had something like um, everything you needed to know to learn how to fly or something, edition <laughs> one. And right. they wanted an edition two. And the guy that wrote the first one didn't want to do it. Okay. And I said, are you, are you serious? He said, yeah. you know, why are you interested? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> And honest to gosh, that I did two editions of that book, and then that led into the uh, uh, first uh, career pilot book. And you know, I, what can I tell you? It's I always just keep saying yes when people yeah. say, "Hey, can you?" And then I kind of figure it out, as long as it's not dangerous. I'm no, just no, not no. like I'm gonna tell somebody I can fly. <laughs> An A380 or something ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> when the opportunity comes along, because yeah. I know I can't even do that. that, that yeah, good, but, but I'm not that good. But yeah. you have to be ready. And that, that's a good story, too, that I was working for one of the magazines, AIN, and we were uh, doing a story about a new, uh, a new um, uh, system in, in, that Airbus was putting together uh, that they had installed in an airplane, and they wanted... A couple of journalists, I went with a guy from Aviation Week and I, and, and they said, well, we're going to take you out and demonstrate it in an airplane. I said, yeah, okay, that's cool, but you got to be over here in Toulouse. And so they flew me over to France, and I did that. And, and they said, so, uh, but we assumed you guys would probably want to fly the airplane a little before you try this. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> sure, okay. I, I mean, honestly, I thought, I don't know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's an A. 319 or something. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and they said, no, it's a 380. And I said, <laughs> yeah, sure. It's a, sure. It's an A380. You're going to let, you're going to let us to go fly your A380. And he said, actually, yeah. I said, well, you know what I said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Yes. Yes. So, so uh, basically what I've learned so far is that the word no doesn't appear very highly in your vocabulary. No, it actually doesn't. And, and it's a funny thing because um, I, I realize that people saying no can have a very personal, you know, it can really raise up a, a horrible response out of people. They go, oh, I'm worthless. I'm useless. They don't want me. Yeah, you're right. This guy doesn't right now, but yeah. maybe the guy over there does. Yeah, and, and it, you uh, might have to be patient, but, but yeah. Be, well, I think... I don't even know if it's patience as much as persistence. I think you need to know how to be persistent without being a pain in the butt. Right. <laughs> so as not to upset anyone. In yes. fact, speaking of that, I think you guys have had enough of my time. <laughs> Fair enough. So here we go. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. It's all right. If it's any consolation, I did just flash up the jet wine uh, page oh, while yeah, you were talking. Yeah, we did. Did. <laughs> so don't panic. <laughs> yeah. Watching this listing, oh, that sounds like Rob. Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. Hi, w Micah. Yeah. I don't know who else is out there, but maybe loads of people. There's, loads there's, of people there's, there's, there's plenty of uh, listeners from oh, uh, the Airplane geeks in the uh, chat room. No, but yeah. flying is a—it's a cool life. It really is. I know it's—it's it's taken some hits after 9/11, mm, and it's—it's yeah. it's different now. It yeah, is it different. Is. So uh, it, but it's still—it's still a very cool job. Oh, it's the coolest job in the world. There's no two yeah. ways about it. And there are a lot of other jobs. You don't have to be a pilot. You could be a mechanic. You could yeah. be a 
controller. You could work at the airport. I mean, yeah. I'll yeah. get you out of the office. I, to be honest with you, we given my, my qualifications that I, I quite happily drive the, the transfer buses that get you from the airport to the yeah, to, yeah. To, to the terminal building. That would. Just, yeah. But anyway, that, that's listen, just and we would depend on you guys, and you guys never. <laughs> Ever came fast enough when no. we had the airplanes to bed and we were way out in front of the terminal going <laughs> at the bus. How rude. We want to get How to rude. the hotel so we can get some sleep. Or Actually, we would tell people Sleep's overrated. Sleep, we would just party is really what we would. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in, in your years, Rob, you, you've obviously flown. You've flown quite a, a, a selection of aircraft. A plethora of a aircraft. A plethora of, yes. of aircraft. <laughs> uh, what, what are the more Sorry. notable GA and uh, and the larger sort of commercial aircraft that you've uh, you've had the chance to fly. Oh wow! Well, I, I remember when I was working on my commercial certificate, I, I'd flown a Bonanza for the first time, an old VTAIL Bonanza, and having gotten out of a 150 into a Bonanza, which is of course retractable gear, it's 260, 285 horse or something, and uh, you know, uh, uh, it was just. I thought I couldn't imagine how anybody could control an airplane that moved that fast. And, uh, but, but it was memorable. And, uh, and then when I got to fly a 310 the first time, the twin, I said, oh, my God, this is it. It will never happen again. I, can't, I can barely control this airplane because it's so big and so complicated. And, but what you come to learn is that, after a while, they all kind of essentially fly the same. They just have maybe different systems and that sort of thing. And you become a little more comfortable with your ability to ask questions about, well, so how do you know, how do you, what do you do if the gear doesn't come down or what's the emergency flaps and whatever. So that, you know, I, like I said, I was lucky to, to fly a lot of really cool GA airplanes, uh, a Beach 18, which <laughs> I'm sure nobody even knows what that is anymore, <laughs> an old radial engine uh Twin tail tail dragger. I'm pretty uh, sure everyone in the chat room will know immediately what you're on about. <laughs> I, there you go. Good. Thanks. I, I was just worried about that for a minute. Uh, but tail draggers are a big deal to me. I love them. Mm. I've got some time in DC threes. Wow. Uh, I I had a uh, a champ of my own for about three and a half years, and I just loved flying out there about 500 foot off the ground, and oh, wow. really learned how to fly an airplane in a crosswind with a tail dragger. And so that's probably one of my favorite things to try to get people to go fly because they think they know how to do a crosswind landing in a 172. They kind of touch down and go, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. tail draggers, you don't do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then I, again, I, some of it was luck. Some of it was uh, uh, maybe assignments for stories. Uh, you know, I got to fly, uh, my, my first jet job was in a, Citation 2, which is the original sort of uh, straight-wing citation. Uh, and I got typed in that and typed in a couple more uh, you know, GA business airplanes, another citation, uh, the Hawker 800 series. Yeah, people know um, that one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I heard they originally used to build that over by you guys somewhere. Uh, I heard it was... Actually, that design. Every time somebody didn't like something that went on with the hawk, they'd say, "Well, what do you expect? <laughs> yeah. Folks built this damn thing 50 years ago, you know, and it hadn't changed." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah they, boy, did, that, 
didn't change it because like it worked. Truck. Yeah, <laughs> like a truck, yeah. you could do anything to that. So, so, so the question I, one of the questions I always ask ask people because uh, you obviously you've got a very varied uh, flying career. Uh, are, there, are there any um, flights that you'd like to forget? If you sort of I mean any any uh, memorable, but for all the wrong reasons, sort of. Obviously, nothing too serious because you're still here to to tell the story. But uh, is, is there any? It sort was of close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, when I decided I wanted to become an aerobatic instructor, really, I was out an in the and I knew I knew how to do a a loop and a roll. Right. <laughs> and that was about it. Right. And so I kind of taught at this local school, I kind of taught basic aerobatics and they didn't give you a whole lot of training on that. <laughs> and I knew enough to, to put the parachutes and stuff on. And, and I was out doing stuff with a guy in a, again, a decathlon, which is like, it's like 180 horsepower tail dragger champ. Um, but it flies really nicely upside down. And I, we got, we did, we were doing loops and we got to the top end of a, loop let's see i don't have an oh here pretend this g550 is my loop. <laughs> not like about here yeah. let's see at the top of the loop and the guy just what we would have said back in the old days he freaked out oh no he went oh my god i'm gonna die oh well that's cheery <laughs> and i you know and it was front and back seating so i couldn't see him i could just hear him and i went what in the hell is going on and the airplane also had a stick, and what he did is he just panicked and he sucked the stick right back into his gut. And anybody that flies knows that if you suck the stick of an airplane back into your gut long enough, depending on your attitude, the wing stops flying. That's why we've had so many loss of control accidents. And the next thing I knew, we were stalled and we were doing this upside down. And I had never been in an inverted, I don't actually think it was a spin. It was probably somewhere between a spin and a spiral. But I thought, oh, my God, we are going to die <laughs> if I don't get this guy's hands off of that stick. Yeah. And I said, let go. And he would not let go. Oh, no. So the story I'm going to tell you, I've never told a whole lot of people. Okay. We had, we had chocks in the airplane that you know we would if we landed anywhere we could put them yeah. by the wheels so the airplane wouldn't roll <laughs> they were in the back by me and i reached behind me and grabbed one and i whacked them alongside <laughs> the head just and to let go of the control oh. yeah they let it. go of the stick and you and had I control managed to get control back of the airplane and we landed and i just said you know i tried to talk them down that it wasn't the end of the world and blah 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 <laughs> and after i got done i said I'm not cut out to be an aerobatic instructor. <laughs> it's not for me. And honestly, to this day, I I have never really enjoyed aerobatics. Although I've done a little in some airplanes over the years. Uh, and yeah. I mean, I love what I love watch. I love watching it. You, I mean, it's some, oh, I love yeah, watching. Yeah. Oh, and I know what the good stuff looks like from the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine was a a, a competitive pilot, but wow. I like to watch them from. Down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on the ground, safely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So the, some of the aircraft, the, the larger commercial aircraft, we know you've uh, obviously had the chance to fly the uh, world-famous uh, Airbus 380, but what, uh, what other sort of the larger commercial jets have you uh, flown? I've uh, got some time in 737s. I've got some time in, uh, like I said, in DC-3s. got uh, a little time in 
DC-9s, uh, which I, I'm, I'm assuming that since these are all plane geeks, they know what these yeah, are. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Far yeah. away. Keep going. Yeah, Keep yeah, going. Yeah. Em, turboprops, uh, King Airs, uh, uh, Embraer's, Brasilia's. Um, uh, what else? Uh, I like the Brasilia, actually. That was, a, that was quite a cool airplane, except we had runaway prop issues when we were flying it. I mean, it didn't occur to me, but system-wide, they were having yeah. that mm. issue. Uh, but I liked it anyway. Mm. Uh, except for the time that for a company I was flying the Brasilia for, and I did the pre-flight, and I forgot to put the oil cap back on the right engine. And oh, no. it took off about four minutes later. We got yelling <laughs> Betty, they used to call her, and it yeah. would say, oil, right engine. <laughs> oil, right engine. And as soon as I heard her, I went, I know what I've forgotten to do. Yes, <laughs> and, and we, a, we didn't have to yes. shut the engine down. We had to go back. Yeah, and of course it was oil all over the side of the engine. Yeah, I'll and bet. honestly, it was actually a learning experience. Not because I screwed up. I yeah. mean, I know I did. <laughs> and I, I looked at the captain because I was in the right seat, and I said, "I did it." Yeah, uh, guilty, I said, guilty it's my fault. Yeah. I, I said, "I'm sorry." I, I, I just forgot. I got busy, and he said, "Don't worry about it. It happens." Yeah. But learn from this kind of stuff. Yeah. And and that's really, I think, an important thing mm. for anybody learning to fly. People make mistakes, but you have to learn from those mistakes. Yeah. And we've got an awful lot of people. Look at the accidents we've had yeah. uh, recently with large aircraft mm. falling out of the sky. Yeah. You know, Air France, those guys took a perfectly good A330 <laughs> and flew yeah. it into the water. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the Colgan guys did it with a dash, you know, a... Uh, a Q400-8. Q400, yeah. uh, the uh, the AirAsia guys. A320, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Scary stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it is. That, that's the stuff that really does scare me. So I've, yeah. over the years, I've really gotten to be a, a, a big uh, – I focus a lot on, on safety. I mm. like to write about it. I'm always yeah. curious about it. I mean, I've got some good friends at the NTSB here in the States that I, I've made over the years, and – it's it's a topic that just never seems to go away. Uh, no, and, and in fact, actually, I mean, we, we, uh, the, uh, the the legend that is Pilot Pip, who who is is one of the co co hosts uh, with with our show, and he does a segment uh, as as often as he can, uh, exactly on that subject matter, which safety, is all about plane yeah. safety. Yeah. And it's it's uh, it's so popular with our listeners. Again, for the same reasons that uh, that you're sort of mentioning, really, it's a, it's a subject that it, that's sort of close to everyone's heart, really. Is is he any good? Oh, he's awesome! Segment? Yeah, he's absolutely <laughs> he's awesome. Good. Of course, he is. He's a legend. He's well, a legend. I just thought, you know, if someday you ever decide you're going to axe the guy and you need some help, I, <laughs> I could help. You're I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you can contribute in any way you like, uh, Rob. It would be more than our pleasure to have any content from you, frankly. So, uh, so the listeners, so, yeah. the listeners in the chat room, especially our listeners as well, who download the show. Uh, will know that my my personal favourite um, aircraft is the Lockheed L ten eleven TriStar. Is it? Did <laughs> I don't suppose you ever had the chance to fly one of those? No, well. I didn't. But I've got a good friend who was a captain on it for uh, uh, a charter company here in the states uh, for for quite a few years, and uh, he just said, "I know it's ugly." He said, "But that is one of the best flying airplanes I have ever flown," and he flew it about. Well, he was a captain on about four or five years, mm. and uh, he loved that L-1011. He really yeah. did. Yeah, so. they are a dying breed now, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think there's only one 
uh, one in the uh, in the world now, which is yeah. is still flying, and that's the orbital sciences uh, one that they right. use. Oh, to, sure, uh, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. It's, then, a shame. Been, it's a shame. Look at the constellations. There's only a few of those <laughs> yeah. left as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because there's only a few of anything left. Because yeah. we're all going to be taken over by drones soon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. Don't open that kind of lens. Oh, no. Abort. <laughs> so we've got, um, obviously, as you know, Rob, we've got uh, a chat room in, in full flow. Uh, and there's uh, people from, uh, from all around Europe and uh, across in the States as well and in the chat room. Uh, and we're going to sort of run some questions that uh, the guys in the chat room have been uh, firing. Yeah, those up are on uh, here. those are about ten quid a piece. Right, uh, ten quid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you. <laughs> is that? It's not a problem for you guys out there, is it? I mean, I gotta eat. I've got a daughter in college. Have you? Oh, that, that's yeah, the we'll big talk money about, burner. We'll talk about your um, your right. media for you career. You guys know something special. Yeah, I'll think no, go ahead. So we've got uh, I've got our first question from the chat room, then uh, from Tony S, and uh, she's asking, uh, uh, what is more stressful, Rob, ATC or flying? Oh wow, that's an interesting, it's uh, an interesting question. I, I'd have to say air traffic is probably more stressful mm. because. Um, There's a lot riding on your success, isn't there? Really, <laughs> uh, you know. Taught you some great skills, but but we would know when we were working certain sectors in a radar room that every afternoon, let's say between four and seven, and they were launching departures out of O'Hare, or you know at different times all the inbounds were headed into O'Hare, and we were funneling, and and then uh, if you saw weather starting to appear on the radar. A couple hours before then, you could already see it all coming together. Yeah. Like the weather's going to end up right where these airplanes need to be, and we're going to be doing this kind of stuff all <laughs> over the place. And you'd already start getting tense. Tense, yeah. Uh, and not not a debilitating kind of tense, but like, okay, all right, yeah. uh, I'm ready. We're going to have to do this. We're going to do focused, that. Stay focused, yeah, but, yeah. Whereas in flying um, – you know the the takeoff and the approach, especially if the weather's bad, mm. are are stressful. Mm. Um, but usually you don't get super stressed out unless you do something like leave the oil cap off the right, right yeah. engine, mm. <laughs> or or you know you have an emergency, something yeah. breaks in route that you didn't expect, yeah. uh, and then you have to deal with it in in a very dynamic environment. Mm. That's the one thing we always said about air traffic controllers. You know, you may be stressed, but I don't know a whole lot of controllers that died falling out of their chair. And in an airplane, it's it's very different because it's not just about solving the problem. Yeah. It's about solving the problem and keeping the airplane flying until you can get the thing back on the ground in one piece. Yeah. So, wow. it's, again, it's a different kind of stress. stress but, yeah. again, I think more often controller stress than pilot stress. Mm, yeah. Well, I suppose I suppose you're only essentially respons responsible for uh, the aircraft that you're flying, as whereas well. with, right. with an ATC, That's you're responsible for it. for That's loads all the time. And if any of them I'm touch each other, I was going to say that you did good. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So another, another question for you from uh, from Tony. Scrolling down the the uh, chat room list here, another question from Tony S again. Uh, what are your thoughts on the French ATC strikes, Rob? Well. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> I have to. I have to preface the answer with what I hear everyone say. Huh? The French. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't quite know what that means exactly no, because okay. I'm a Yank. Yeah. 
because when I go there, they're always very nice. Yes. Um, well, I was uh, I was a controller here in the states at the time of the great Patco strike. Mm. Uh, you know, from that Ronald Reagan fired a bunch of controllers. I I snuck out of that whole conflict by a just skin of my teeth uh, because I was off doing some school stuff for a semester, and that's when the strike occurred that summer. And so I, I've been very involved in the union, though. And, and I think while people may believe that the French, the Germans, uh, who else? I think they're probably the predominant, uh, uh, you know, ATC strikers that we hear yeah. about. Well, I, I think the French people in general are, are, are keen to demonstrate. They're, they're not shy of a little demonstration here and there, are they? I mean, it's that's, the, that's right. The farmers yeah. especially uh, enjoy uh, blockading the odd port. <laughs> but if you look at, at the United States and in, in commercial aviation in general, uh, the airline industry is the most unionized of probably any profession that's left. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, when I was, a, uh, I was an, uh, an ALPA guy, the Airline Pilots Association member, mm. you know, we always used to say that, you know, we were there to, to kind of um, provide a buffer between the employees and, and management. Mm. Um, and, and today, in the last 20, 25 years, many people have grown up saying, oh, unions, oh, God, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, They do terrible. All they do is cause trouble. And However, but when you see some of the situations that employers uh, have brought to the work, workplace, mm. um, look, at, look at the situation with the Ryanair guys that are all yeah. contractors and and they mm. just kind of come and go and yeah. lawyers do whatever they want. Yeah. And, and people say, oh, well, that's just the way it is. <laughs> well, yeah. actually, guys, it didn't used to be like that. No. It's only because people, I don't know exactly when the time was that people started fighting against unions more than they <laughs> did. But uh, same thing with the controllers union. I mean, yeah. You know, it's a it's a tough job, mm. and uh, they can make a tough job even tougher by very simple things like really lousy scheduling practices. You know, making you stay late at work one night and getting you back early the next morning, so you're running on very little sleep, or uh, you know, breaking up your days off so you only have one day off and come back. You know, there's all kinds of mind games they can play with people that the outside public doesn't know about. Well, um, also, I suppose so from, my guess is that the controllers, yeah, they, I, I'm sure they want way more than they're willing to settle for, yeah. but it's like any other kind of negotiation. Uh, but then that's what business and, and is supposed to be. That's what it should yeah. be like for employees is that I don't necessarily sit here and tell you what you must do right now or get out. Yeah which is pretty much what everybody expects these days. We've all heard that. You don't yeah. like it? There's the door. Yeah, off you go, yeah. Well, yeah, except that you also lose some really valuable people mm. that way. Experience people. Valuable well. experience. Mm. You waste a lot of money yeah. retraining people. So there has to be a balance somewhere. And I guess, although I didn't always agree with things we had to do at Alpa, uh, like defending pilots that mm. were idiots, and yeah, there were a few. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we were there to provide a balance, yeah. and 
And so when it comes to something like the French controller strike, there's a very long answer to a short question, Tony, sorry. But I, I feel like they're still there because they, they add a necessary piece to the puzzle, even yeah. though management hates them, uh, they do provide that balance so that management can't just do anything they want to anybody anytime they want. Yeah. So another question for you, Rob, in the chat room. Is this from Tony uh, again? No, this is Masha. This is Masha over in the uh, Netherlands. Uh, and Masha's asked, uh, uh, on the subject of our building, uh, how do you feel about the 1,500-hour rule? Will it be reduced in the future when there's a real shortage of pilots? Mm. Wow. Well, I have a perspective on that from a story that I wrote because I interviewed some of the families of uh, some of the victims from the Continental 3407 crash at Buffalo back, was that 2007, 2007 I think it was? Yeah, I think, yeah. And, and how upset they were at uh, the conditions and whatever. And those people lobbied our Congress here in the United States to get the rules changed. And that almost never happens. That said, they were concerned about safety. Mm. Um, that said, the 1,500-hour rule didn't really do anything because right. the two people that were driving that, that Q400 that night had more than 1,500 hours by quite a bit. Right. So even if we'd had this rule then, it would not have prevented Vintage. a thing. Yeah. Um, I personally think the, uh, you know, the industry let Congress shoot us all in the foot. Uh, and it's, it's tough because now, as we were talking, you know, earlier about how do you get the experience to reach the mark where you can get a job? Uh, now it's even tougher to get that first job if you're interested only in the airline business because of this rule. And, uh, yeah, it's set us back, but I don't think they ever thought there would be a, uh, uh, a shortage of pilots at the same time, except Depending on how you analyze the whole situation, that 1,500-hour rule was a significant factor in causing the shortage, where people said, I, I don't have the money to build myself up time-wise to get ready for 1,500 hours. I'm just not even going to bother to start. Yeah. And so, you know, what caused what? I, we're, we're seeing a few little uh, kinks in the armor mm. where, you know, if you're at a four-year university and you're going to get a degree anyway, you can have the hours reduced and get a, uh, a restricted ATP. Uh, but for guys like me that didn't go to an aviation university, mm. uh, I went to a state university here in, in Illinois and I just got my flying experience as I could. Yeah. That, that would have been, uh, it would have been tougher these days. But however, my first airline job, let me think, I must have had, I must have had 27, 2800 hours when right. I got hired anyway. So, so I you, had you were well over years that. years of kind of, you know, scratching yeah. around mm -hmm. trying to get time. And uh, some people kind of think, well, I should be able to just go from my commercial to the right sea of an airliner. Because yeah. that's... That's what I want to do. You got yeah, yeah. And, and certainly in your case, plenty of hours in the book before um, before uh, you, you you sort of started essentially. Yeah, and sometimes I, so. I guess my, my point is that 
Yeah, I think the 1,500-hour rule is kind of bogus. It didn't really help us at all. Hmm. Uh, it hurt us. Uh, but it is what it is unless it's going to get repealed, which I doubt. Uh, we're going to have to figure out a way around it. Hmm. And I think we're starting to see some of that change now uh, if people can get hired at the regional level. So. Yeah. So another question from uh, Tony S. in the chat room for you, Rob. This, this was a lady, Tony. I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah because I, one of my best girlfriends, the first one I ever had was Tony. And, well, I doubt it's her because she would be a little old now. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Tony's asked then, uh, Rob, uh, do you think that MH370 will ever be found? No. No, with, all, with all the searching that's going on, because obviously the searching, I think, is still, still going on, and they've it's, obviously it's found just a few about bits. Done. I think I think they are just about because the weather out there now is awful. Yeah. In fact, I, it's funny that you mentioned that, Tony, and everybody else. I have a picture that I was just going to put up on uh, on Facebook here today mm. of uh, something I got from one of the guys in Australia that showed. Uh, let's see what would that be in because it's in meters. Uh, Fifty. 57-foot waves out where the, is it the Frugo or whatever the search ship is that's towing the sonar? Right. 50, they're dealing with 57-foot waves in the Indian Ocean. So wow. kind of tough to search. But seriously, I don't think we'll ever find it because um, without a handle on where those boxes are to even you know put a submersible down to get, to get the things, we'll yeah. never know what happened. It's all going to be speculation. Yeah. Uh, another one in the chat room. This is from someone who you, uh, you, you might well know, actually, Rob. It's from, uh, from the main man, Micah. And uh, Micah's uh, asked, uh, with all the issues of uh, not hand-flying these days, how, does, uh, how do you feel, Rob, about the uh, side-stick controls versus yokes, even though they're both fly-by-wire? I, you know, I was out, I was lucky, uh, one of my, one of my fun jobs these days as a journalist is I get to go fly new airplanes and evaluate them. I was just out flying, uh, Embraer let me go with one of their legacy 450s, uh, a couple of weeks ago down in Florida and, um, it's a side stick control and I, I love it. Uh, but then I'm also a, uh, a Cirrus instructor and that was really the first side stick uh, airplane I'd ever flown, and I really came to like the side stick. Um, but there's a difference between the side stick on a Cirrus and the side stick on a Legacy or an Airbus. In the Cirrus, when I move the side stick, the person, well, I'm usually on the right side, the, the person on the left side sees what I'm doing. They see the movement. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, on the fly-by-wires, you don't have that. The no. side stick just sits there. Yeah. And um, not... Oh, it was maybe 18 months after the Air France investigation was over. I had a chance to uh, to get an hour and a half in an A330 simulator with what was then Northwest Airlines up in Minneapolis. And uh, and this buddy of mine was an instructor in it. And he said, well, sit in the left seat. And, and we kind of tried to recreate what we knew of the event. And what I found to be the most disconcerting was that the, the side stick is kind of below you to the left and at night it's it's almost it's almost dark not completely but it's almost dark 
And it's not exactly in a place that's kind of near your peripheral vision that even if it was moving, you might see it. But when you realize that the Air France guys went in in the dark in thunderstorms, in turbulence, when the instruments were going insane mm. and they were getting warnings every three seconds, stall, 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 you know. And the guy in the left seat had no concept that the kid in the right seat had the stick all the way back really? because the stick on the left didn't move and it's dark and it, it just, you know, and it's, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bump the microphone, <laughs> but it's like, it's like every other accident. They never occur from just one single incident. It's yeah. usually two or three or four things that kind of cascade to the point where the crew just loses control of the airplane. So. And I mean, presumably it wouldn't be that difficult to sort of simulate with, with the, uh, the, the, the joysticks. You, you know, I mean, I know, I've got a big enough electrical electronics background to know that it wouldn't be too difficult to, to put servos and stuff on it well, so yeah. that the stick would move. Um, so it could, you could still simulate the fly-by-wire. Uh, you know, you could have it so that the, the guy sitting to the right, as you say, would know that, that the stick had moved. I mean, that wouldn't be too difficult. I, I to... wish it did that. I, I don't think Airbus or anybody else has any plans to do that. I, my guess is because of what you just said, that mm. you could add servos and things, um, but those are expensive. Yeah. They can break. Um, the weight is negligible. Yeah. But... Um, they don't. They don't want that. They want airplanes that are simple to maintain. Uh, that if the joystick busts, they go. Yeah, just take, take the panel out, put a new one in. Out, yeah. throw a new one in. Yeah. Now, so you know, it's it's not the way I would have done it. No. But it is what it is. But I I think it's also incumbent though to to not just say well it's a crummy design. No. Um, we need to be certain that we train pilots yeah. so that they understand the limitations of the airplanes that they're flying. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've flown with too many these days that just kind of sit there, punch on the autopilot. And, and just chill out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you pull out the newspaper, yeah. and I'm going, what are you doing? Oh, uh, and they've become very dependent on the technology. The technology and, you know, yeah. if you play with that stuff, you know that when it all works right, you do get dependent on it. Yeah. And then one day it breaks, and it breaks in a way that no one ever thought it could or would. And then you go, yeah. oh, boy. You get the equivalent now, of the blue screen of death, you know, that you get yeah, on your PC, exactly. but, but like in the air. Now, um, obviously, given your, uh, your marvelous journalistic background, uh, you, and as I mentioned earlier, obviously, you, you quite regularly uh, contribute aviation-related news uh, to, like, Fox News, BBC, and CNN. Now, uh, a subject matter... Videos which me and Matt have been watching We have on been YouTube. watching this week, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, that is a hot topic here, especially with one of our, our listeners, um, Nev, uh, uh, is, is about media accuracy shall we say, uh, and Nev's actually asked uh, a question for Rob, how do you know, how, um, you know how the 24 news channels tend to sensationalise aviation incidents and accidents, yes they really do, how are you able to keep your reporting moderate and balanced? Well, it, you know, that's actually a really good question because um, uh, when I started doing this, I don't know, six or seven years ago, it it kind of came because people found me through the blog at Jetwine yeah. because it's blogs are international these days, yeah. and, and uh, but I had no I had no media training 
in terms of, you know, on camera skills. I kind of learned that the hard way by doing really stupid things along the way. Uh, but, but I did have the journalistic sense that when somebody was trying to corner me with a question where they kind of seemed like they had a story they wanted to tell and they wanted you to give them a fact that would make that work. And, and I was very good at saying, I, I cannot agree with you on that. I don't think that makes any sense at all. Uh, I don't see anything in the facts that would lead me to believe what, what you do. Yeah. Uh, now, and I always try to be nice and say, but you know, maybe you have access to information. I don't. Yeah. Uh, but I, and, and that's the trouble I think, uh, with a lot of the talking heads is that they don't push back too much no. with the moderator. They push back against each other. And, uh, you know, the, there's there's a couple of guys I I know on CNN, one of which that, oh, God, I hope I never have to work with him. But I, I saw him put another journalist in a real bind one day during the MH370 investigations where he, he told the moderator, I can't remember who the moderator was, about, um, well, of course you got that answer, uh, Don. Uh, look at who you've got answering your questions here. <laughs> now, if I'd answered that question and yeah. I thought, Oh my God! He just threw his buddy under the bus. That's not very nice. <laughs> and so you know, there's that kind of thing too, because people people get in front of TV cameras and they think it's about them. Yeah. It's not. No. It's about, it's about the story. What yeah. is up here in your brain and how you're analyzing the questions yeah. that someone is giving you, and how important it is to not say, well. Yeah, that uh, Egyptian airplane fell out of the sky. Must have been a bomb, no doubt about it, like uh, a certain presidential candidate mm. did about five hours after it occurred. Uh, based on what? Yeah. Oh, I keep forgetting you don't need facts. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Just make it up as you go along. You see people on, on TV, and I'm sure that's probably part of Ned's question. If mm. I say, well, you know, I've, I've really looked at this problem quite a bit, and I believe it calls for that. Yeah. And you get thousands of people that say, wow, yeah. so that must be what we need to do, or that's why that happened. And, in fact, during the Egyptian thing a couple of weeks ago, uh, early on on <clears throat> a certain cable network that uh, I know of, uh, we shall go <laughs> nameless, uh, one of their early commentators uh, was uh, trying to fill time and just talking about things that kind of made some sense, but not a lot, a lot of yeah. sense. And here I was seven o'clock in the morning, planted in front of my TV, trying to get some facts together, mm. yelling at the television, going, you're making this up. Yeah, you, you have no facts. This. You're yeah. making this up to fill time and people believe you. So I, so I, I'm very sensitive to Ned's question. I, I hope yeah. I answered it, but it's a constant battle. To, yeah. To one, one of the things that really annoys me in this country, uh, Rob, I mean, you probably follow the, the, uh, a lot of the, I mean, Sky News, we obviously have in the UK here, we have the uh, news from all around the world. And, and a lot of, not just Sky News, but a lot of the other big news channels as well, and when, when a, a, a crash occurs or anything related to aviation occurs, and the photographs they use, the pictures they use when they're when they're doing them, you know, you, you've got something that's that, that's um, happening with a I don't know an Airbus A320, and and they post a picture of a, a Boeing Triple Seven, uh, and run a story, <laughs> and, and that really really does annoy me slightly. 
Yeah, I, and it's, you know, again, I mean, that is what happens when you get rid of the, the specialists in any, uh, any industry in, in the media. Uh, you know, my wife's in the healthcare industry, and, oh, and she ends up doing <laughs> the same sort of thing to the television when there's some, uh, you know, healthcare mm. issue debate where someone is, they know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah. And they say, well, you know, the, uh, the uh, psychologist uh, did this, that, and she's going, no, we don't do that kind <laughs> of thing, you idiot, you know. And, <laughs> but again, the, the media has gotten rid of its aviation specialists, some yeah. of its uh, healthcare reporters, some of its uh, media reporters, uh, you name it. And, uh, and they do it to save money. And they figure, ah, you know what? These people aren't going to know the darn difference anyway. But, but I mean, to be honest with you, that, do. there are there are enough people um, out there like yourself who 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 are available and easily contactable, if you like. I mean, really, nowadays they have no excuse to get the the, the details on these stories incorrect. I mean, because there are people like your good self where they could contact you and ask for clarification. So before they, what happened to the day where editors would, you know, check their story first before they actually aired it? I mean, it really wouldn't be that difficult to just run it past an AV geek who knows. Well, you're, you're right. And, and they don't want to do that because it takes time. And that means that they might not get the scoop. And they really want that. They want to be there before first, everybody yeah. else. And Honestly, as a, a, a blogger, you know, when I started writing Jetwine 10 years ago, it was just kind of a fun thing. I just wanted to talk about stuff. I don't know. And, but, you know, coming from a journalism background, it, it, I, I realized very quickly on that I ran into situations where I'd say, gosh, you know, I could, I could really, I'll bet I could really make a little name for myself here if I get this out. Yeah. Or somebody else. Oh, that would be, I would be so, people yeah. would be talking about me. But then there's that little part, that little guy on the other shoulder that says, yeah, but if you're wrong, yeah. you're going to look like an idiot. A right number. Better make sure the facts are right. Yeah. And, and so I had to stop myself more than once. Yeah. Uh, but I, I see that as a good thing. Yeah, well, and, and you've obviously got that filter, haven't you, that, that, that sort of says, like, hang on a second, I don't have all the details that I need before I make this, this, this public. And uh, as you say, I guess people are trying to sensationalise everything. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just it's, it's, we, we find it here, certainly, and I, I know everybody in the chat room is going to agree with me, and we find it so frustrating. Well, you know, it's funny, too, that you we, we talk about this because it – when, going back to the Egyptian thing again a couple of weeks ago, um, I heard about it. Actually, my news source was my my uh, college daughter uh, who said, hey, Dad, did you see this thing on, on Twitter that there's a, an Egyptian airplane? Yeah. She's following the, the breaking news, and yeah. I didn't even see it. Yeah. And so it was just about the time I was ready to hit the sack. So the one thing I did before I went to bed is that I checked the weather in that part of the Mediterranean over the course of the last six and 12 hours, just, just to get an idea of what was going on. Yeah. You know, uh, if there had been uh, tremendous lines of thunderstorms along, you know, uh, the route somewhere, I would have said, well, you know, maybe weather was an issue, you know. Uh, but when I went to bed, I looked, and there was nothing. There was just nothing. There was no significant weather within... 500 miles. Yeah. And didn't the phone go off two hours later with somebody from one of the 
um, TV stations saying, well, what do we know about what happened to the Egyptian airplane? And I said, well, I think it's, it's probably not going to be a weather-related uh, accident because I just looked at the weather before and my, my perspective as a pilot is I didn't see anything that looked uh, difficult to deal with out in that part of the Mediterranean at all. And the conversation flowed from there. I mean, if that was a fact, but of course I had prepared it knowing that I was going to probably need something, mm. and I need at least one fact before I can start saying, well, maybe, or maybe. Uh, and, but again, that's what I see as a journalist's job. Yeah. So the, all the, uh, the big news stations over in, over in the U.S. and that that you've appeared on, Rob, how did that all come about? How, I mean, do the stations contact you and say, hey, Rob, can you come and cover this story for us or give us some, some answers and tips and stuff on what happened here? Do they well, you know, it's a you? funny thing. It, they feed off of themselves because, um, you know, I did um, that morning, the first one I did live was one of our local TV stations, WGN Broadcasting mm -hmm. here in Chicago. And then somebody from some place in, where was it? Some place up in Canada saw that feed and called me. Yeah. Uh, somebody from a radio station in Los Angeles called me based on the same story. And then somebody in the UK heard the radio broadcast in LA uh, and also had seen me on Fox later that yeah. day saying, well, hey, we heard what you had to say. It seemed like it made really good sense. You seem to know what you're talking about, yeah. and you hardly, you know, scratched your nose much <laughs> on camera. And, you know, Thank, would you come and talk to yeah. us? Yeah. And, and then, uh, again, it's, you know, it goes back to that. I don't know if I've got one here. Well, you probably, anybody that reads Jetwine, if you need a button, I can get you something. <laughs> give them away at oh, it's shameless, all the time. Isn't it? but, um, <laughs> shameless after, plugs. After I would do an interview with anybody, I don't care where they were in the world, I did a couple with a guy in Kuala Lumpur after yeah. MH370. And uh, I would always just put a nice little note in an envelope with a couple of Jetwine buttons saying, thank you very much for inviting me. I was very happy to take part in the conversation. I'm happy that you wanted to hear the facts of whatever the situation was. Yeah. And that's marketing, yeah. you know, and people would just remember it because they'd put the little Jetwine button maybe by their computer or maybe on their bulletin board or something. They go, oh, what about that guy? Uh, they may not remember my name, but they'll find it when they go to Jetwine.com, and that's really how a lot of that has worked. Yeah. We'll go back to a few questions in the chat room, Rob. Yeah. Uh, we've got one from uh, the uh, tech wizard that is Neville Bounds. We uh, and uh, he asks, uh, did you ever interview or speak to Sully Sullenberger? Uh, no, I I never spoke to Sully directly. I met uh, Jeff uh, Skiles a couple of times, who was oh, yeah. his co-pilot co -pilot, that yeah. day, and uh, uh, you know, um, I I was very happy to have met him. What a what a very low-key guy. And, you know, it's amazing. These guys that I've met that have been through some of these incredible situations, when you talk to them about it, we're like, we're kind of all the same. It's like, just, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I just, I just knew I had to do this and yeah. I had to do that. And it's very practical. And it's not until later when yeah. it's all done that you go, oh. 
oh my goodness, what happened? You know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, but the and so getting back to Scully, what I was uh, really what I thought was really cool is one day I was playing with Twitter on my phone and mm. you know you can see uh, you know so and so is following you and at one point it went. Sully Sullenberger is following you. And I went, oh, wow. <laughs> Sully's following me on Jetwine. Oh, my gosh. I've got to think something really impressive to say. And, you know, but anyway, so that's as close as I've gotten to Sully, I'm afraid. That's uh, closer than any of us, I think. To be see, that, that's <laughs> yeah, how I yeah. thought. That's how I felt. You see, when, when, uh, when you know, you followed me on Twitter, uh, oh, uh, Rob, you know, you see, I got excited. Yeah. You see, oh, yeah. Rob, Mark's following me. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, the, the local legend. He's a legend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And, and we're going to talk later about that wire transfer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Right off the air. Okay. Yeah, 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 of course. So, absolutely. We've got hey, some numbers off air. Can you send over some. Uh, okay, well, I mean, no. <laughs> We'll send, it, we'll send it over in euros. That'll yeah, be better. Yeah. In euros? Um, <laughs> yeah, don't open that kind of worms. So another question from the lovely Tony S. in the chat room for you, Rob. Do you think we will ever get single pilot airliners? Uh, there, that's a two-part answer. One is and what yes. I think happen. One is what I want to happen. Right. And what I want to happen is to say, no, we'll never do that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think we will see it at some point. And, and when I watch the, uh, the way the airlines work and the fact that, um, I'm sorry, for those of you watching, you're probably wondering why I'm looking here because that's where my Skype thing is. I've got to move it here right under my camera. So it looks like I'm not talking to the dog. Um, but, you know, I, unfortunately, airlines are always looking to cut costs. I mean, you know, someone asked me, how could we possibly have lost this Egyptian airplane and not known for certain where it was, just like we lost MH370? And I said, because nothing's changed. The airlines haven't put the technology for the most part on the airplanes because they don't want to spend the money. Uh, because uh, when you multiply, you know, a $50,000 investment, a $75,000 investment, times two or three or 400 airplanes, it becomes a lot of money. And they yeah. go, are we going to make that money back by being that? Do we need to be that safe? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what's going to happen mm. with the pilot. I mean, I remember when there were, uh, you know, a, a, a flight engineer, a radio operator, a first oh, yeah. officer, and a yeah. captain. And then they got rid of the uh, radio guy and the engineer. And uh, they're going to say, you know what? These airplanes are so reliable yeah are so safe that that one guy or yeah. gal can do it all and yeah. if there's a problem they're going to be networked to the ground so that they'll have help anytime they need it mm -hmm. until the time that as we all know the technology goes hooey yeah. just at a moment when maybe the download uh <clears throat> technology also goes but, I mean, and then you've got one person up there trying to deal with something uh, that may or may not have a great deal of experience, uh, is depending on people on the ground, and now they're up there by themselves. It'll, it'll happen. But I mean, I mean, look at how many airplanes we've lost in the last 10 years yeah. as pilots have gotten themselves into situations where they have lost control of the airplane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean it in a demeaning way no. because these are all – people that I sort of share a brotherhood with, but, mm. but we, we can't train people how to do everything. Um, but we do need backups. 
because technology is not 100% foolproof. I don't know that it ever will will be. Mm. But don't count on that kind of logic from the airlines because if they can cut out another $150,000 a year salary Mm. times, you know, 20 pilots, they will. And they'll put that right back into the, you know, and I guess that would be my my biggest objection with the one pilot thing. If if they were putting it into something that was going to make flying more safe for all the people in the back, I'd say, well, you you might get me to buy into it. But they're not going to do that. No. The, you know, the British Airways, the United Airlines, the uh, the Singapore's, I mean, all that money goes back into the shareholders' pockets. And, and that's where I really where have the numbers a are. And of course, I mean, I mean, of course, uh, not that long ago, uh, of course, there was the 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 um, plane which was flown into the mountain, wasn't it, by the guy? Oh, that was the German wings. Yeah, the, one, the yeah. German wings German thing. Wings and of course, one, yeah. I mean, okay, it's because he'd gone to the loo, wasn't it? Which is how he well, managed the captain, to. Yeah. The captain had gone to the loo and that. And I, I, I guess you know, part of me as a as a very nervous flyer. I mean, everybody who listens to this show knows that I'm a very nervous flyer. Um, and and the idea. I kind of picked up on that over watching us. <laughs> Thanks very much. No, and, and really, I'm not making fun of you. I mean, there are yeah. people that, that just have that. I'm, I'm like that with water. Right. It I, I don't like water. So. Oh, no, you see, I float really well in the water. That, that, that's not a problem for me. <laughs> I, I, don't, I just don't. <laughs> but, uh, but as I say, from, from a nervous flyer's point of view, the, the idea of there only being one guy who's locked in that, in that, in that cockpit on his own, if you see what I mean, that, that, as a nervous flyer, makes me very uncomfortable, the idea that it's just one guy on his own. Yeah. So think about that. That makes you nervous. What do you think is going to happen when they try to tell you that a fully automated Boeing 787 will be an incredible trip? It'll be wonderful. It'll be safe. It'll be pleasurable. And you don't have to worry about those stupid pilots complaining about anything up front <laughs> i mean you see now now Never ironically ironically and i know i'm gonna get i'm gonna get abused in the chat room for this i know but my love of technology and my my technology my technological background if you like i actually feel more co- i mean here in the uk there is um the docklands light railway which is is a bit like the underground system or the metro system that operates on in london and when they first introduced that system it was fully automated uh, and there was nobody on the train the train drove itself there was no garden anything like that and people in central london stopped using it or wouldn't use it because they didn't like the idea of there being nobody sort of there in control if that makes sense now as i say ironically i actually feel if you haven't got a human involved there's less to go wrong uh, and and i mean systems these days have you're, enough you're absolutely right absolutely right and and that is that's what the technology people uh have on their on their yeah. side is that if you look yeah. at most of and we're just talking about airplanes yeah. right now yeah yeah you look at most of the accidents they're almost never because some critical component yeah. failed an yeah. engine blew up yeah. except on that that Qantas a380 that the engine blew up on yeah, years QF, ago and yeah. magnificent QF. save that was but yeah. um it, it's usually that maybe a piece of something might go wrong and the pilot does the wrong, wrong thing. thing yeah or, or they fail to do anything yeah. uh and there's that human aspect of it yeah. um i i guess we're gonna have to find a way to 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 sell mm. pilotless airplanes to people yeah. as a better option than what we have right now and of course you know we talk in the states that we haven't really had any major airline accidents in quite a while 
But as an industry worldwide, mm, yeah. mm, it ain't that pretty. No. You know, it really isn't. And, 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 uh, and so, you know, passengers are, are right, I think, to be concerned. Yeah. I'm just not sold on the fact that complete technology is the answer but that's no agree to be fair it's just it's just as i say it's 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 one of those things it's like a lot of the a lot of the problems where have gone wrong have perhaps been down to pilot error and i i i personally really don't like the idea of there only being one person in the cockpit that that for me completely doesn't work so for me it's either two pilots or the thing flies itself do you know what I mean? It's like I, you know, don't don't take it down to one pilot. I don't like the idea of that. I like that less than the than the plane flying itself. If if that's what you, I'm going. As I say, the abuse is already starting to come in on the chat room, so I'm going to walk away from this <laughs> yeah, yeah. very dangerous cul-de-sac that I find myself in. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, yes, it's it, it, it's 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 a very controversial subject. I think that's uh, it's safe to say. I'd rather have two pilots in there. Yeah, I know. If one of them was me as well. That, right, that of course. Would be yes, handy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Once I've passed, of course. Yes. I'm not quite there yet. No, no. Anyway, that that is, I'm afraid, time where it's time to wrap things up. It's uh, it's been a real See, pleasure, had enough, Rob. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure, Rob. Thank you very much for your time. Um, and, and Tony, listen, thank you for sending in all those messages. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get back to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's the same Tony. I, I honestly don't. Uh, <laughs> but worth a try. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, where can uh, before we before we uh, we, we, we end up, yeah. we wrap up then uh, where can uh, where can people find you, Rob? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's this this jet on, on um, that old jet, interweb thing. Where where jet, might they jet find what 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 jet why, wine? Jet possibly, wine is it, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was going to. We've been working on a little song. Um, right, beautiful. Well, yeah. anything. You listen. You type in Jetwine yeah. in Google, and they'll find me. I mean, Jetwine.com is the best place, of course. And for, for those in the chat room, I should bring that up for you now. Room, yeah. If you're really a glutton for punishment, and you'd like a Jetwine button of your own, yay! Yeah. Email me at Rob at Jetwine.com, and uh, we'll make sure you get some buttons. Awesome. I hope. Mike is not sitting there saying, oh, you never gave me a jet wine yeah, Probably, probably. Uh, that, that will be coming. But that may be the case. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. We'll be happy to send them along. And, you know, again, uh, I, I think the, the thing I would say is that you guys are doing an, an incredible job of, of trying to get people interested yeah. in aviation mm. and get them thinking about the stories of the day uh, and that maybe everything that people hear on TV and on the radio – isn't all 100% accurate, but when you, you know, when you're watching a show and you, you realize that happens, call that stupid TV station or the radio station <laughs> and tell them yeah. that, you know, there's a better way to do it. And I'm not yeah. trying to just sell myself. I'm saying but <laughs> there are people out there that can get them the facts if they'll just take the time to ask for it. And, of course, we mustn't forget, of course, the, the legend that is the, a, a certain podcast that you're also yeah, involved yeah. in. Um, where would they go to find that? Uh, that would be, uh, oh, the one I forgot to mention. Uh, yeah. mm. Which one was that again? Uh, yes, the, Air, the Airplane Geeks. Yes. AirplaneGeeks.com, <laughs> uh, where uh, David and Max and Max Trescott and Brian and I amaze people with our ability to make a big deal out of incredibly small, <laughs> unimportant stories. Everyone. Now, now, there's no need for that. Actually, be yeah. before before we skip off, uh, uh, 
Jennifer Parkinson, one of our listeners who's, uh, who, who's over in, uh, in Italy, over in Rome, lovely part of Europe, uh, she actually just emailed us a few questions, uh, Rob, or a couple of quick questions. Sure. Uh, one of them was uh, actually a question that which, which I've been thinking about for a while now, uh, is uh, are you still in touch with Dan? Um, and, and do you sort of keep, keep in touch with Dan? Dan, Dan Mr. Dan Webbage. Yeah, Dan Webbage. Uh, yeah, you know, I, we, we still do talk to him, uh, not as much as we'd like. Uh, you know, Dan has grown up. And for those people oh. that were around when Airplane Geek started, oh, yeah. uh, Dan was, um, uh, you know, I think he was, I think he was 18 when he, 17 or 18, when he first wrote a letter to Max and, uh, and said, you know, he had some insights into the airline industry. And we didn't know at first that he was only 17 or 18, but he really understood what he was talking about yeah. oh, and yeah. really liked he him. Was good. And, uh, he eventually became a really important part of the show for quite a few years. And honestly, I miss him because, you know, he and I used to have some fun together oh, yeah. on the air that uh, actually after he left, people would say, oh, you know, we miss the fact that you and Rob used to pick yeah. on each other and, <laughs> yeah, you know, banter, good yeah. fun. And, uh, and that hasn't worked out the same because David Vanderhoof, who's on our show, is just he's a curmudgeon. <laughs> so you know we can't. We know laugh. we know a few of those. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're, uh, I, I we're, should. Uh, we're going to get him some medication though. Uh, right. She's also she's also asked uh, Rob just one one last one is also uh, where can uh, when can where can Jennifer find your video on uh, GA flight safety? Uh, the one in question, I think it was about uh, a pilot not planning sufficiently for bad weather oh, and landing in, at a busy alone airport. Oh, in the cockpit. Um, yeah. yeah, that is um, uh, a. a a film we put together with uh, some members from the uh, National Business Aviation Association's uh, uh, single pilot working group on the safety committee. Um, and it's up on the NBAA site. Uh, they were actually, it was supposed to be in a place on its own. Even as we speak today, my guess is that it didn't get there because yeah. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but um, Jennifer, if you, if you want to, Send uh, me uh, uh, an email at rob at jetwine.com or give it to you guys or yep. whatever. We'll um, make sure I you can get it, send yep. her the link because uh, I just don't want to have people wandering around on the NDAA no. site saying, oh, I don't see anything up there. Yeah. No, that's... Uh, and, uh, but it's, uh, it was an interesting video we did about the fact that here in the States at least, um, uh, oh, you know, it is up there. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Wait, I can't believe this happened. Wait, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, just as we're, I'm just looking at this really quickly as we speak. Yeah. Yes. If you go to NBAA, uh, that's NBAA National Business Aviation Association, uh, nbaa.org, um, and you look under aircraft operations, which is one of the tabs at the top, you'll see one that says single pilot uh, operations. And uh, with inside there, you will find this video of a really uh, interesting pilot who happens to look an awful lot like me, I'm told, actually. <laughs> um, oh, really? <laughs> and, and it shows you just a little bit about how easily even a, a fairly confident pilot can get themselves in over their heads really? in bad weather, flying a high-performance airplane by themselves. And it wasn't meant as the be-all and end-all, but just simply to call attention to the fact that, hey, this is happening out there, and, and we've got to work on that as well. 
So thanks for that comment, Jennifer. Wow, can I? Can we come to Italy to? Oh, very much so. Yes, oh, yeah. 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 We're trying to get out there ourselves, actually, because Je- Jenny is very kindly one of the, one of the uh, regular contributors to the show, and she sent us some audio feedback, which we're going to uh, play out a little. Uh, uh, we're going to play out very shortly. But, uh, yeah, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the main man, Mr. Mike, or Mike here himself, has just said, uh, I have a jet wine button, uh, but you should get me a bunch to take with me and give out to these guys because he's meeting us at Farnborough. Uh, so, that's uh, so, that's right. Yeah. He's going to Farnborough. And, he is, uh, yeah. He and Brian are, are coming. I wish yeah. I could be there. Yeah, um, yeah it's a shame you can't. Right? Yeah, that would have been amazing. I, but I'm going to get there somehow yeah. at a different time. I'm I'm in flux between some writing assignments yeah. uh, right now. So yeah, no. <laughs> some that I thought were going to come together aren't, yeah. and then ones I didn't expect are coming together, yeah. but not in time for Farnborough, so unfortunately. No, no, okay. So to listen to the Airplane Geeks, it is one of the podcasts that we quite regularly recommend oh, yes. that people listen to. You take yourself to www.airplanegeeks.com. That's where you'll find the audio version of the wonderful output that uh, Rob is very much involved in. I just love these modifiers. Wonderful. And didn't somebody use exquisite and unbelievable? Oh, and- yes. I, I thought I heard somebody using them. Possibly, possibly anything. But we are frightfully English, it has to be said. Uh, you know. This has been fun, guys. I yeah, really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And, and on that that is where we bring uh, today's episode to a close. Thank you very much, obviously, to the legend that is Rob Mark for joining us uh, today. Uh, I can't believe we've had a legend on yeah, the show. Such yeah. a legend like Rob Mark. <laughs> you know what? I can't believe the legend is me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now stop it. Now oh, stop my it. gosh. So it's, oh, so it's been great. And hey, fly safe, everybody. That's the I most important try. thing. I don't want to lose any more friends. I've lost enough. Yeah. I don't want them to be one of your listeners or ours. Right. So fly safe. Let's fly safe. So from all of us here in the studio, it is time to say a very goodbye to episode number 100. Oh, hang on a minute. He's got <laughs> Yay. Jetwine.com. Jetwine. J-E-T-W-H-I-N-E. No, no, no. No, absolutely nonsense. Anyway, it is time to bring the episode to a close. So from all of us here in the studio, it is goodbye.